Good morning, everyone. It is 10.30 a.m. on Thursday, March 25th, and we are back with another episode of Bible Study, Grace Abides Podcasts. However you're listening to this, you found us, and we're back. And we're studying Romans 11 today, a important chapter in, um, I should say, unimportant chapter in Romans, and has a lot of good stuff that we'll get to. But uh, how y'all doing today? Great to have you uh, join me and excited to go through uh, Romans 11 with you. And uh, hope wherever you are, you're, you're doing well and uh, taking good care of yourself. It's a nice day here in Texas. Uh, last night we had some pretty crazy storms, but uh, today seems to be a, a pretty nice day. So glad you're taking the time to be a part of this this morning. Okay, so before we get into Romans 11, want to talk a little bit about next week. Next week is Holy Week. And we have a little different schedule for uh, this Bible study. We are going to do Bible study Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday next week. We're going to do it every day of the week. And we're going to do uh, the Passion Narrative, the story of Holy Week. Uh, So we're going to study our way through that next week. And again, it's going to be all five days. and It's going to be at 1030. uh, And so we'll go through it. And we have a lot of worship next week. And so uh, Holy Week starts on Sunday with Palm Sunday. Uh, that'll be at 9 o'clock outside, 10 o'clock breakfast, 11 o'clock inside, live streamed as well. And then next week, uh, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, worship will be outside at 7. And then Easter Sunday, uh, we'll have three services, 7.15 a.m., uh, 9 a.m., both of those will be outside, and then 11 o'clock will be inside and live stream. So I uh, would love to see you at worship next week uh, if you're able. Well, let's get started with Romans 11. A lot of good stuff in Romans 11. So uh, we start with verse 1. Paul writes, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means! Exclamation point. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul says, has God, has God rejected the Jewish people? Well, No. I mean, some of the Jewish people rejected Jesus, right? But does that mean God then in turn rejected them? No, no. Well, how do we know that? How can we be sure that God did not reject the Israelites, the Jewish people? Well, me. Look at me, Paul says. I'm a Jewish person. I am an Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I'm a descendant of Abraham. God certainly hasn't rejected me, right? As a matter of fact, God appeared to me on the road to Damascus. God showed me grace, right? Certainly God hasn't rejected the Israelites because God hasn't rejected me. God called me. God worked through me. God has not rejected us, right? And I think it's an important point here that Paul makes. When we want to speak about what God is doing in the world— When we want evidence of God's work, we start with our own life. We start telling people, you know, what is God doing in your life? You want to tell me about God? You want to tell me what the Bible says? Okay. You want to make it real for me? Tell me what God is doing in your life. How is God at work in your life? Can you answer that question? Can you tell others how God is at work in your life? Have you really thought about it? How can you answer that question? Well, for me, it starts with, um, let me tell you about where I was 10 years ago. Let me tell you about where I was 20 years ago. Let me tell you about the type of person I used to be. 
And let me tell you about the person I am today. Now, I can see God's fingerprints and God's work in my life over the course of 20, 30 years, right? I, I wasn't perfect back then and I'm not perfect now, right? But I, I like the version of me today better than the version of me when I was 21, right? So how did that happen? Well, there's maturity, there's growth, there's understanding. It's all the work of the spirit, the spirit of wisdom and might, you know, the, the spirit working in our lives, the spirit changing us, transforming us, helping us to be better people, helping us to be uh, better disciples, helping us to understand what gifts we have, helping us to use those gifts to share the gospel with others, to be a better person, right? And so we talk about how we've changed, how God has changed us, how God works in our lives. And then we say, you know, because of that, now let me tell you about the other things that the Bible says. So it always starts with God's story and my story and how that goes together before it's God's story in the world's story. Uh, so that's where Paul goes here in verse 1. Okay, verses 7 through 9, Paul writes, What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it was written. God gave them a sluggish spirit, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. So Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking and the elect obtained it. Why? Well, the rest were hardened. God gave them a sluggish spirit, a sluggish spirit. Uh, other places, other translations say a spirit of stupor. Basically, an attitude of deadness, an attitude of uh, ignorance, uh, an unwanting, unwillingness to be open to what the Spirit is doing. Uh, so just this, this a spirit of uh, comfortableness. I'm not interested in what the Spirit is doing. I'm not interested in what Jesus has to say. I'm not interested uh, because I have this spirit of comfortableness. Um, I the Jewish people of that time were so secure in their idea of being the chosen people that the very idea that um, had become the thing, the very idea of being the chosen people had become the thing that made it so they couldn't see Jesus. Right? It was the thing, uh, they had too much confidence. They had too much confidence in themselves to see and hear Jesus. To the eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear. They wouldn't hear what he had to say. They wouldn't listen with open minds. History is full of examples of people and armies with too much confidence. And usually when you have too much confidence, right, you end up missing an opportunity. You're missing an opportunity or uh, when you have too much confidence, you're not willing to improve. You're not willing to listen. You're not willing, you know, you're just overconfident. And so that's what Paul is writing about the Israelites of that day. So then, verse 11, So I ask, have they stumbled so as to fall? By no means. But through their stumbling, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their stumbling means riches for the world, and if their defeat means riches for Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Okay, what does this mean? Israel's stumbling as predicted in Psalm 69, 
doesn't mean they have fallen. So I ask, verse 11, have they stumbled so as to fall? No, they've stumbled, but not to fall, but not to fall. Uh, Paul says there's a difference between stumbling and falling. Israel had stumbled, but they had not fallen in the sense of being removed from God's plan, right? And, And so Paul says that God had a plan, and part of that plan was the hardening of hearts so that salvation would come to the Gentiles. So that's, that was part of God's plan, according to Paul. Uh, so they stumbled, they didn't fall, right? So they rejected Jesus, which was a stumble, because the stumbling block, right? Uh, but but he did, they did not fall. Okay, verses 15 through 18. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. Remember that. We're going to go back to that. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. Continuing on. And if the root is holy, then the branches are also holy. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive shoot, were grafted in their place to share the rich root of the olive tree, do not boast over the branches. If you boast, remember that it is not you that support the root, but the root that supports you. Okay, Paul says a lot here. First off, go back. If the part of the dough offered as first fruit is holy, then the whole batch is holy. Remember, the first fruits represent the very first Christians, right? The people who followed Jesus, the people who were his apostles and disciples and who walked with him and who talked to him and who did amazing things in his name. And and all of those people, well, the earliest, all of them, and then the vast majority of the very early ones were Jewish. They were Jewish. And so their conversion, their following of Jesus was something that was holy and good for the church. And so if the first part of the dough is holy, then all of the dough is holy. That's what Paul says. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. We know that the apostles and basically all most of the authors, the human authors of the New Testament were Jewish people, right? I mean, this this religion of Christianity came from Jewish people. So Paul's not saying, it, there's no way, there's no way that God has decided to no longer include the Jewish people. Plain and simple. And talks about some of the branches have fallen off and been a wild, the branches of a wild olive tree have been grafted in. Um, You know, Paul reminds the Gentiles that it is only by God's grace that they can be grafted into God's tree. You know, God, who is the root of that tree. um, and, and, And Israel is the tree, right? You can't, um, you know, God's chosen people. You've been grafted into God's family. You've been grafted into God's people. Um, you're not the root. <laughs> uh, you're a part of the tree. And so do not boast over the other branches. That's what he says. Do not, do not boast over the other branches. Do not think yourself superior to the Jewish people. Right? Paul reminds him that the root is God and it supports the Jewish people and you, the Gentile Christians. Um, but this, this feeling of superiority, it is so very human. We love to see ourselves superior to others. 
And Christianity is really good at this, right? Because I am a decent person, because I'm a decent fella, I am better, so much better than other people, right? I mean, that's this feeling of self-righteousness and superiority. It's very Christian. Uh, Well, it's very Christian when when we look at culture, not the Bible. Um, Or even when we look at denominations, right? Our we think we're superior to other denominations because we do things they don't, because we welcome people they don't, and they think they're superior to us because, you know, they don't welcome people that we welcome. And, you know, this this feeling of superiority, but do not boast over the other branches. Don't Don't judge the other branches. Don't worry about the other branches. Worry about yourself. That's what Paul's saying, right? Just worry about yourself. Don't worry about the other branches. Don't think you're better than anyone. Just worry about yourself. Obviously, there were Gentile Christians who started to talk about how good they were and how unworthy and undeserving and how bad the the Jewish people were. Paul's like, you're just missing the point. You're just missing the point. Verse 23. And even those of Israel, if they do not persist in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. So some Gentile believers thought that there was no future for Jewish people, that there was no future for Israel. Israel was done, finished, cast off, rejected. And it's this kind of pride or arrogance that Paul is speaking out against. God's plan for Israel includes restoration. Well, how do we know this? How do we know this? Well, verses 25 through 27. So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, so that you may not claim to be wiser than you are. I think, man, we so all, we all need to hear that. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Paul is warning them not to be wiser than they actually are, or not to claim to be wiser than they actually are. Their opinion on salvation doesn't matter. It's not up to them. So do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not claim to have authority that you don't. Do not claim to make decisions that aren't yours to make. Right? God, it's a mystery. Verse 25, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel. It's part of God's plan. It's not for you to look at God's plan and make fun of those who are part of God's plan, to say bad things about those who are part of God's plan. And then he says, verse 26, all Israel will be saved. All Israel will be saved. I mean, it's kind of black and white right there. I mean, I know people want to say that, well, no, no, you know, heaven's just for Christians. But we are reminded that God made a promise to the people of Israel. That God made a promise. And in verse 29, which it goes on to say, the gifts and calling of God, the promises of God are irrevocable. Irrevocable. So, and plain Greek, Paul writes it, but in plain English, it's there for us today. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. 
which should be incredibly comforting to us as opposed to a means for, you know, making ourselves feel superior, superior to others, right? Because it means that as much as God is not going to give up on them, God is not going to give up on us. And at times, there's always times when we go through life when we feel like, man, if God gave up on me, God has every right to do it <laughs> because we've made a mess. We've done some bad things, but the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. All Israel will be saved. All baptized will be saved that we can say with confidence. Okay, verse 36, last verse of the chapter. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I'll read that again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. F.B. Meyer said, a child just learning to read could easily spell them out. But who shall exhaust their meaning? One of the simplest verses to read in all of scripture if you were ever going to be a reader on a Sunday, this would be the verse to read, right? All three and four letter words, and they're all simple words. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. But oh boy, what does that mean? What does that mean? So let's, tell, let's parse it out. For from him. What does that mean, from him? Well, the plan for salvation the plan for reconciliation came from God. It wasn't our idea. It wasn't your idea. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't anyone's idea throughout history. It came from God, for from him, right? That's what it says, for from him. And so this I plan, I mean, we didn't turn to God and say, listen, I have sinned and I have to find a way back to you. And so I'm going to come up with a plan. And, you know, that plan includes you coming to us and dying on the cross and all that stuff. How about that? No, that wasn't us. Yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't look for a plan. We didn't really care about a plan. We weren't smart enough to come up with a plan. It was God's plan. So it was from him and through him. And through. So even if we did ha come up with a plan, God would have to do it. God would have to do it. And so through him, through Jesus coming to us, through his death, through his resurrection, he made it happen. The plan happened because he made it happen. He came up with it and he made it happen. We couldn't do it. We couldn't reconcile ourselves to God. Jesus did that. God did it for us. God came up with the plan. God uh, saw the plan through in the last part. And to him are all things. To him. Interesting point here. Interesting and important point. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? We know that, John 3, 16. Why did Jesus die? Why did this whole plan come to be? Was it for you and me? Or was it for God? Because it says to him. It's, it's all to him. God did this because God wanted to do this, because God was glorified in this, and because it brought us closer to God, uh, and God basically tore down all of the obstacles between us and God. Uh, it's for God's pleasure. It's for God's enjoyment. It's for God. It's all to him. The, the end part of this plan is 
to God. It's all for God. It's to God. It's to him. Um, so we find, uh, you know, our fulfillment in bringing him glory and being in relationship and uh, loving, loving God and loving others and living in a, doing our best to live a life that is in accordance with his will and a world where people are treating each other the way God wants us to treat each other and being the people that God created us to be for the sake of glorifying God. Because to whom be the glory forever, right? Uh, to him be the glory forever. Amen. It's the end of the verse. So we do all the things we do to glorify God in our life. And, uh, you know, this, the side result for us is that we experience love and grace and mercy. And we live a life of peace and joy and relationship filled with good things. A God who loves us, people who love us. And we're told that we're forgiven. I mean, it's all good. Uh, and, and we tend to think it's about us, but it's for God. God did this all, you know, for the sake of being glorified and, and, and you know, enjoying being God. Because when we let God be God, God likes that, right? I mean, yeah. So um, to him be the glory forever. Paul, Paul can't figure it all out. Paul, Paul doesn't completely understand it. And in that, Paul says, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to glorify God more. I'm going to praise God more because there is mystery. And I can't, I don't understand it all. And, uh, you know, that just makes me want to praise God more. You know, if there's something about faith that you don't understand, guess what? You're in good company. <laughs> Everyone who's ever read the Bible has gotten to a point where like, wow, I really don't understand that. I really, there are mysteries as part of our faith. There are things that we don't understand and won't understand. Uh, but I hope when we get to that moment, we're like, man, I'm just going to worship God more passionately. I'm just going to worship and praise God more instead of giving up because we don't understand. Because if our goal is to understand all the complexities of God and religion and theology, you're not, it's never going to be. You're, you're going to reach a point at some time where you say, I don't understand. And I hope that makes you say, well, God is bigger than I can understand. God is beyond my ability to comprehend. And that makes me want to praise God more. Because it, it, you know, where, where our mind stops, God continues and how great that is. So there's Romans 11, an important chapter that uh, doesn't show up very often in our lectionary. And it's not something we preach on very often, but I think it's an important, uh, an important chapter, good theology, and something we should all know. These things in Romans 11, I think, we should all know. So we will stop there and we will uh, finish with a prayer. Good and gracious God, we thank you for your many blessings. Uh, we thank you for the grace for grafting us in. Uh, we thank you for your grace and mercy that, that helps us through life and for the strength and guidance that you give us with your presence. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, save us from ourselves, help us to overcome our arrogance and our boastfulness, Help us to see others not as people to be in, that are inferior to us, but as people who we can help and who they can help us uh, in return. Uh, we pray for all those in this world who are hurting, those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, those who are confused, those who are angry, uh, those who are sick, those who are grieving um, and mourning just the overall uh, way that the world is now, Lord. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be comforters. Help us to share your grace and love with all. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, everybody, have a great rest of your day, and I will see you all soon. Again, Holy Week next week, we'll have Bible study Monday through Friday, 1030 right here, going through the Passion Narrative and lots of worship. So hope, hope to see you all sometime soon. Take care.